This is the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast episode 11. I'm Matt and today I'm going to be reviewing and moaning about some geeky stuff. On this week's episode I'll be talking about my top 10 superhero cartoons of the 90s, why X-Men Days of Future Past should have been the last X-Men film Fox made, and my comic to read before you die this week is Sex Criminals Volume 1. So, my top 10 superhero cartoons of the 90s, so I'm going to round it down 10 to 1. So, in the number 10 spot, I have Captain Planet and the Planeteers. This doesn't mean that I didn't like the series as a kid. It was just means that I liked other things much, much more. I think the thing about all these 90s TV series is that, you know, especially the cartoons, is that they all had pretty decent theme tunes to them. Um, not my favourite theme tune in the world, but it is one that I remember, obviously, because I could still sing it to you if you were to ask me before I found it. So the idea is, you know, great theme tune, Alright series, probably, you know, definitely my number 10 spot anyway, alright, yeah. That said, I am one of the people who own the Captain Planet action figures, and I was one of the people who wished one of the rings did actually grant me magical powers. But, either way, you know, Captain Planet lasts for six seasons between 1991 and 1996. The premise behind it was that Gaia sends five magical rings with powers to control an element of nature and one controlling the element of heart, or whatever that may mean, to five chosen youths across the globe. She claims to have been asleep for the entire 20th century and woken to see a more polluted world than when she last, than when she was last awake. In situations that the planeteers can't resolve alone, they can combine their planetary powers to summon Captain Planet, who is Matiz, so that's the guy who controls the heart ring, is, is magnified heart power in the form of a male blue-skinned hoopy, superhero avatar with a green mullet. I'm not really understanding the green mullet or the blue skin, do you know what I mean, but who knows. Um, Captain Planet possesses all of the other planeteers' amplified powers, along with more classical superhero powers such as flight, superhuman strength, and vulnerability. Once his work is done, Captain Planet returns to the planet and leaves viewers with a message, the power is yours. I think the beauty about Captain Planet wasn't that it was a really a superhero show whatsoever, but that it was well before its time. It was entertainment, but at the same time, it was educating children on the importance of saving the planet. Um, not that I think my parents really thought of it like that. They just thought, what the hell is this? Um, I don't know why saving the planet would involve a half-naked, blue-skinned guy with a, mullet, a green mullet either, but who knows. Um, I do suppose that the acid the creator was on was pretty good at the time, though, because I kind of feel like a blue-skinned guy with a green mullet that's half-naked, you've got to have been on some really good drugs at that point. Um, I suppose if one of these shows is on the list that needs a revival, I suppose Captain Planet of the Planet A should probably be you know, high up the list. At number nine, I have the Powerpuff Girls. chosen to create the perfect little girl. But Professor Utonium accidentally added an extra ingredient to the concoction, 
Chemical X. Thus, the Powerpuff Girls were born. Using their ultra superpowers, Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup have dedicated their lives to fighting crime and the forces of evil. I know what you're thinking. Um, why was I watching the Powerpuff Girls? The answer to that is that I wanted to. It had over-the-top humour, it was fun and inventive, it had one of the best villains ever created, Mojo Jojo. Uh, it was brilliant. Let us not forget the Professor Utonium. The, the creators have quite well said that he could have been Samurai Jack, so I'm just putting that out there. It aired from 1998 till 2005 and spanned six seasons and three specials. I reckon my kin- kids would love it now, and it probably deserves some sort of a revival in some way, shape or form. In at number 8, I have the Fantastic Four. So, I always loved the Fox Kid shows for the, uh, the cartoons, and especially loved the Marvel cartoons. Although Fantastic Four hasn't made it lower on the list, it has made the top ten, so that's saying something, as I watch far too much television in the 90s. Uh, we all know the story of the Fantastic Four. Four scientists go into space in a hit with cosmic radiation and transformed into the Fantastic Four. Well, nothing changes in this incarnation. The Fantastic Four have been around since the 60s and are rightly Marvel's first family. The series had a lot of humour and pretty good animation for the time. Uh, what I liked about all of the Marvel shows is that they cared in the same universe and the same continuity. Uh, this meant that the characters could turn up in any of the other shows. So, you know, the series had fan favourite Fantastic Four characters such as Doctor Doom, Galactus, Silver Surfer, Namor, The Inhuman showed up, Black Panther. Um, the show ran from 1994 to 1996, spanning two seasons and 13 episodes per season. Um, wasn't that, you know, two seasons, so what, 26 episodes, wasn't that great probably in hindsight, but it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It got us all involved in, you know, watching you know watching these comic related cartoons so um it was a great series and only rates so high up the list from number one because i have so many more good shows that are in higher and better positions all right at number seven i have superman the animated series So, Superman the Animated Series, it ran for three seasons from 1996 to 2000. It was a solid series and was set in the same universe as Batman the Animated Series. 
it, I wasn't as in love with this series as the other DC cartoons, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a good series. I love Superman, but DC had way cooler cartoons than this one. Um, that said, the animation was generally solid and the voice acting was on point. To be fair, you can't really beat Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor. He's just perfect for it. Um, the very first episode of the series just shows how much hope they had for it. To dedicate the first episode, not to Kal-El, not to Superman, but to Jarrell Rock, you know, I kind of feel like it's a bold move. As you watch it, you start to root for Jarrell to succeed. Ultimately, we know he doesn't, and ultimately, Krypton explodes and Kal-El tra- travels to Earth. Brave New Tr- Metropolis is a great episode as well, depicting a dystopian alternate universe where Superman takes over and becomes a dictator. Uh, as great episodes with lots of Superman villains and mo- that most of us are aware of. It also has one of the greatest moments to come out of any 90s superhero cartoon. The team, the team up of world's finest, Superman and Batman. You also have Hamill reprising his role as the Joker and the late great Kevin Conroy as Batman. Uh, what more could we ask for? Great series, which leads to an expanded universe, which made my childhood great. At number six, I have Batman Beyond. bit more of a hardcore theme tune than ones we've heard previously um i've spoken about batman beyond previously and said how good it was um i think terry mcginnis brings a comedy to batman that is very rarely seen through bruce uh it's got more conroy in what more could we ask for wilfred dell brings something unique to the role what i love about the series is that it gives us something that we didn't see in other dc animated series or probably in any other cartoon series of the era a lot of cyberpunk. I know, you know the series is rife with cybernetic enhancements while basking in futuristic city. Neo Gotham is a great backdrop for the whole thing. Uh, the series brings in new villains without ignoring what came before. Uh, Batman Beyond has great crossover in the form of Batman meeting the Justice League of that era. Um, Superman's costume is brilliant in it, as well as the new Justice League. Um, the series started in 1999 and ended in 2001. Although it was um, right at the end of the 90s, it still counts. All right? It's still a 90s cartoon. The series shows exactly what happens to Bruce and shows how he retired from the Cape and Cowl. The series culminates in one of the best featured animated films of all time, Return of the Joker. I know the name of, of that is somewhat a spoiler, but you can, yeah, but what can we do? Um, in at number five, we have Gargoyles. Um, 
although technically not a superhero show, I'm the judge by the way, so it is, I'm, I'm counting it, they are more than human and they use their special talents to help people, so superhero show, bam, superhero show, there you go. The story in Gargoyles is just brilliant. I kind of feel like, obviously, their theme tune basically tells you exactly what happens. You know, they they're from the past. They were you know moved to Manhattan from Scotland. You know, they it's just a brilliant series. The voice acting in it is great. So Keith David as Goliath is just he's just got a great voice and he's so. You, you know exactly who he is as soon as he starts speaking. So, Gargoyles, like I said, is a series about a clan of nocturnal gargoyles who broke out of their stone shells when the sun goes down um, and turn back to stone when the sun rises. The series ran from 1994 to 1997, spanning 78 episodes. I specifically loved this series as it was different from the usual superhero show that we used to get. It had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles feel with the family dynamic and sticking to the shadows with a displaced from their own timeline feel. Uh, the Gargoyles were protectors of a castle and its human inhabitants a thousand years ago in Scotland. They were betrayed by a human and one a human they call friend and one of their own. Uh, it was a great series and it still holds up now and I kind of feel like that also needs a revival. I really feel like that could just be revamped and just done again. Same animation would be brilliant as well. Okay. So at number four, I have Batman, the animated series. Great theme tune, great opening scenes. It it's just that is just it is brilliant. That to be fair, uh, I know what you're thinking. How is Batman the animated series in at number four? Um, it's because I like the series in front of it more. That's the be all and end all. That said, it is a great series with quite possibly the best voice actors of all time, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. There are no two voice actors that could take their spots as the Dark Knight and the Clown Prince of Crime. The series ran from 1992 to 95, and then in 1997 had a continuation series, The New Adventures of Batman, which ran for 24 episodes. The series has some great animation, which only really changed when The New Adventures came out. I prefer the original animation, but I feel the newer animation that came out um, was used as the archetype for future projects like Batman Beyond the Justice League. Uh, which is evident because WD, WB took over the series. The beauty of Batman the Animated Series is that it paved the way for some of the greatest DC cartoons and feature films such as Mask of the Phantasm and Batman uh, Mr. Freeze, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. Both films are great. We can't forget that Harley Quinn was created for this TV show and is now one of the biggest comic characters, anti-hero slash villains of all time. At number three, I have X-Men, the animated series.
X-Men the Animated Series is still a great series now. Great series then, great series now. Some of the animation had its moments, obviously. But what I loved about X-Men is um, was that it didn't shy away from the adult topics. Um, X-Men's all about persecution and rising above said persecution. They protect the humans that hate and fear them. What is a little silly about the series, like most Marvel cartoons of that era, was that they... They can have hate crimes, persecution as such, but guns with bullets was a big no-no. All the guns are lasers which stun when they hit you. It just seemed a little silly to me that they could be hated and feared for being a mutant. I could be chased down and threatened, but killing me with a good old-fashioned bullet was just out of the question. Um, I think this is one, it has one of the best theme tunes without words of all time. I think if you're of a certain era, maybe even if you're not of that era, you know what that theme tune is. Um, I love the Chris Claremont era of X-Men, which I talked about in episode 9. It must have been a great series as they're bringing it back with X-Men 97. What I loved about the series was that they thought that we were all a bit thick. They made it so that everyone's powers could be seen. So Magneto's magnetism could be seen every time you used it. Jean's telekinesis every time she used it, you could see it in a different kind of animation. Um, it was like Marvel decided to dumb it down for us with things like that and with the lack of guns. Don't get me wrong, it worked for the seven-year-old me, but looking back, it seems slightly ridiculous. In at number two, and with another banging soundtrack, I have Spider-Man The Animated Series. I think we can all agree, probably the best theme tune of all time. You know, it's for me anyway, so, you know, it's one of them. Um, this series had some great stories. Another Marvel series that thought gun violence was too scary or real, but a giant lizard trying to eat Spidey's face was fine. Uh, had some great arcs and villains along the way. Um, the Venom arc in particular is brilliant. It shows how Peter, lo- you know, Peter losing who he is, then clawing his way back. Even left us on a cliffhanger at, right at the last episode. Will Peter find the real Mary Jane or not? Uh, one thing is for sure, if X-Men 97 is successful, that they need to bring back this one as well. The series ran from 1994 to 1998 for five seasons. It showcased some of the best storylines of the time. It even did a crossover with X-Men when Spidey was mutating into the man spider so if this could be made into a new show what Spider-Man 98 that would be absolutely brilliant for me in at number one I have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles It's 
not really a surprise, I suppose. Um, the turtle shaped my Saturday morning viewing for years. In fact, thanks to the magic of that was VHS of the time, it was most days, not just Saturdays. I don't need to give you any backstory in the turtles, but I love the series. It had one of the most recognisable theme tunes ever created. The voice cast was brilliant. James Avery in particular, Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince, was brilliant as a shredder. Um, one of the main issues looking back as an adult is knowing what the original source material was like for the turtles is much more grittier um, than what we got so what we got was a much more parentally guided show mainly to make money the series was molded around a toy line, toy line so it didn't matter if the villain was good or not it was being used because they had the, the toy ready uh, that's not to say that it didn't shape my childhood it I didn't care back then how they saved the day or who they saved the day from, just that they did it. And they also got rid of the word ninja around the world for many years as it had, they thought it had a negative connotation, um, or then that ninja meant something evil. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles was used instead, which is still pretty cool and probably what I remember as a kid anyway. The show ran from 1997 to 1996 for 10 seasons and had 193 episodes. A lot of those seasons were really mixed matched with how many episodes they had, but for 193 episodes over 10 years, that's a lot of episodes. Uh, it was a brilliant series and well deserves to be number one on my list. So, a small amount of X-Men music to get you in the mood for the next segment. So, X-Men Days of Future Past was a great film. It followed up X-Men First Class, um, which was another great film. We've got X-Men, X2, both brilliant films, especially X2, probably one of my favourite superhero films of all time. Last Stand was a little misunderstood, but ultimately was a bit shit. Um, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, not a great film. I, uh, I'm just going to say one word, Deadpool. Um, Fox finally got themselves back on track with First Class and came up with the idea to make it better. I'm I'm kind of missing out the um, the Wolverine, which led up to you know obviously them going to Days of Future Past. That was a good film. So uh, what I love about this is the mesh of the two timelines together, and it it, it did work. It was a great story following on from the Cuban Missile Crisis that they had in First Class to. Um, in Days of Future Past, they had the end of the Vietnam War. It mixed the past and future nicely enough that it didn't completely destroy everything that was done before. It was great seeing Stuart McKellen back in their roles, as well as seeing McAvoy trying to come up with a new way of doing Professor X, while Fastpanda just mimicked McKellen to a T. Um, getting X-Men, uh, X-Men like uh, Katie Pride back before she became Kevin Pride and Iceman, you know, Great. I think uh, I'm more of a fan of Deadpool's Colossus than you know the original X-Men Colossus. I kind of feel like the guy turned up without a Russian accent, so that put me off a little bit. Uh, but it's still cool seeing him and with the other newbies in the fold. Um, I like that not everything is peachy in the past, obviously, because you get this this view of the future where it's dystopian, they're fighting for their lives, there's only a few mutants left in the world, and then you think, them going back in time should be sound, shouldn't it? But Professor X, he, he might not, in the past, might not be fighting a physical war, but mentally he's in peril, and he needs the push to become the leader that the mutants need him to be. The film focuses on the future X-Men sending Wolverine mentally back through time to his younger body, and 
let him sort things out in the past. I'm not always a fan of how much Wolverine is used in these films, but I think it was it was good for it was good for what we needed. And I feel like you know he's used so much in these films because he's a get out of jail free card for them. They can literally fuck him up in one scene and then he can be in the next because he can regenerate. Uh, one thing that doesn't make much sense to me about the film is Kitty's newfound ability to send people's consciousness back through time. You know, she could phase through solid objects. You know, she could disrupt, you know, electrical equipment, stuff like that. Those powers, to me, aren't really related in the slightest. I get what they're trying to say, that, you know, she can phase people's consciousness through time. But, to me, that's bullshit. I kind of feel like it was just a means to an end, so that they could do the story. Uh, The story follows Logan trying to get Professor X and Beast back into fighting shape. It's all about Mystique, who has took it upon herself to kill Bolivar Trask, who's been killing her friends, and he's responsible for the Sentinels of the future. Um, She's captured, allegedly, according to the future Professor X, when she she kills Bolivar Trask. Um, Her DNA is harvested, and um, it leads to the Sentinels of the future. So, what I... That, that's one thing that I really wasn't that keen on because I've seen the deleted scenes of this and I actually think the deleted scenes are much better where it's shown that Rogue was the mutant that they were using as their powers are replication. So to me, the Sentinels who could replicate powers should really get their powers from maybe a combination of both the DNAs. I don't know. I feel like that would be better for me. So it ends with Wolverine changing the future and waking back up in a peaceful future um, without any new memories of the last 60 odd years. Everyone is alive and well doing great. It was just a great ending, which should have been the end of the Fox X-Men universe for me. Instead, we got Apocalypse, which if you haven't, it, you know, it wasn't connected to the other films. You know, if it wasn't connected, it would have been a much better film. Uh, they misfired with the look of Apocalypse and no one seemed to age whatsoever. It had been 20 years since First Class and everyone looked, what, like a few years older tops. It's like they think we're stupid. And Then we got Dark Phoenix, which is actually a good film, but not if you're, you've been watching the previous films. It's, you know, especially when you think of Fassbender, you know, he looks far too young to play McKellen, who he can only be, what, eight to ten years tops from becoming i just don't get that the films after days of future past are just filled with inaccuracies which makes viewing a little bit awkward for me days of future past should have been the last x-men movie period Just a little bit of X-Men music to play us out of that segment, anyway. Right, so this week's comic to read before you die is Sex Criminals Volume 1. So, Sex Criminals was published by Image Comics. It was written by Matt Fraction and illustrated by Chip Darsky. Um, Matt Fraction is best known for his work in Marvel on The Invincible Iron Man, Fantastic Four, The Immortal Iron Fist, Uncanny X-Men and Hawkeye. Um, with DC, he's... He's wrote he wrote for Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Um, he won the Eagle Award for Best Newcomer in 2007. He won 2009 Eisner Award for his work on Iron Man. And these are just a couple of his awards. Um, Chip Darsky is best known for Howard the Duck, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, 
Daredevil, Spider-Man, Life Story, and um, Spider-Man, Spiders, Shadow. For that's all for Marvel. For DC, he's done Batman. Um, he's done Jughead, and he's done Archie. He has a plethora of awards to his name, including an Eisner Award for Best New Series with Sex Criminals. The first issue was published on September 25th, 2013. Since its publication, the series has continuously received critical acclaim. The Sex Criminals was um, nominated for two Eisner Awards in 2014, including Best Continuing Series and one Best New Series. In 2015, it was announced that Matt Fraction made a deal with Universal TV to turn Sex Criminals into a TV show, so we could get it on their TV screens. So, according to American Library Association, the hardcover release Big, Big Hard Sex Criminals was the seventh most banned and challenged book in the United States in 2016 due to being considered sexually explicit. Well, that's kind of in the name. I kind of feel like if someone turns up at the counter and they don't look old enough to buy it, don't let them buy it. You know, don't, you know, put it on a high shelf. Do something, you know what I mean? So, Sex Criminals was a great book for me. I'm, <laughs> I'm focusing on Volume 1 mainly because it was for the shock factor. Um, the synopsis for it is, uh, Susie, a librarian, and John, an actor, meet at a party and end up sleeping together. Later, they are shocked to discover that they share the ability to freeze time when they orgasm. As, they re- as their relationship develops and their sexual histories are explored, they decide to rob a bank where John works in order to save Susie's endangered library. It shows how awkward they, they've been for years, thinking that they're the only ones who can do this. It shows them struggling to meet anyone until they accidentally stumble over each other. Would we all think about breaking the law if we had a superpower? I've mentioned it in previous episodes where I was ranking the Heroes TV series powers. I would most likely be a villain, I'm sure of it. I think any kind of power I'd think of, that you know, something dodgy to do with it, I'm sure I would. Um, power corrupts, let's put it that way. So, uh, it's great risque artwork, which doesn't leave much to the imagination, with, you know, a cartoon-esque vibe to it. Uh, if you can get over the glowing dick in it, which you know, is in it a lot, as when John stops time, it glows. Um, you can get over most things. Uh, so when this comic came out in 2013, there was a flood of praise for it, citing the story as revolutionary in the way it depicted sex and relationships. Um, it is hilarious to a certain extent. The main characters find their powers through the confusing time that is puberty. The main story folk, yeah, comes across as a crime caper, uh, which it is, but the main focus is on sex and relationships. Uh, it's a funny story which explores something different, and I've brought up um, before as a comic to read before you die, and I think you should all give it a read, provided you're of age and you don't mind a bit of smut. Right, so I've been Matt, and this has been the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>